Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <clears throat> Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, I'm really uh, looking forward to tonight's program. We've invited Art Soriano, CEO of the TSI Company. Uh, he lives uh, his office near our, uh, our uh, base in New Jersey. He's here to talk about training staff to be more uh, effective in, in combining store and online marketing. And it's a topic that a lot of the uh, people have written me about, and I was glad to get uh, able to get them on the program. Art, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. We, as we ask every guest, tell us a little bit about yourself, both personally and professionally, So, before we get into the topic at hand. Sure. Well, with me, both personally and professionally, it actually started out with uh, music. I graduated college with a degree in music composition, and started writing jingles uh, early on, working for ad agencies, mostly in New York, and developing uh, the skill of, of, of advertising to say as much as you can in as few words as possible and as quickly as you can. And it started to do very nicely. In fact, I wound up having my own ad agency for a few years, and then I had an opportunity to start to uh, consult for various media companies, uh, radio and television, and then from there, Sort of the business I have now, which has been uh, around for 22 years, the TSI company, we started out with a marketing message for in-store for retailers as far as how to talk to customers while they were shopping. And shortly as we got that off the ground and working with uh, the retail executives, we saw that there was a greater need to train the employees because most of them were going part-time because of uh, health insurance costs and training employees during business hours was a challenge. So <clears throat> taking the idea of music and taking the idea of saying as little as possible or as much as you can in as few words as possible, we developed a training methodology that began to teach associates what they needed to know during the business hours, uh, delivering training via headsets, standing in front of merchandise, being able to learn about product features and so on. 
And that eventually evolved into a methodology that we now have, which is patented, and it's called L-Training. And then from training through the years, as the company continued to grow and technology expanded, we then got more involved in developing ways to communicate and train with technology. And then the last piece we put together was, of course, the internal marketing. So we had the marketing, the training, the technology, and communication. And that really helped us help businesses improve their sales by really having customers uh, come in and being uh, served better by the uh, store employees, having a better atmosphere with messages going on in the store and music and everything kind of related the way that it should. So basically, we were able to really enhance the shopping experience. So you're in effect saying that you look at the whole uh, environment, uh, the background, the music, uh, the messages, and and try to uh, train the staff to be part of that and and to, in the end, add sales. Did I hear you right? Absolutely. When you walk into a store, if I look at a store, excuse me, I'm going to look at the floor. Is the floor clean? Is the store lit? Is music playing? Are the associates there uh, easy to identify as far as wearing, you know, some kind of a uniform, name badges? Are they smiling? Are they greeting the customers? That's the first step. The second piece, then, is customer engagement. If I walk into a store and um, if I have a question, is there an associate there that's going to walk up to me and, you know, and maybe ask me if I need help with something or if I have a question for them and they can answer it and be able to make recommendations that are going to be what I want, you know, for, for what I'm looking to purchase and maybe make some recommendations to add on to that sale so that I'm not just buying this one thing but maybe something else that goes with it and really recognize me, the customer, as someone really being special, someone that really has you know value for that business, thanking me for my purchase, inviting me back, and really making me feel good about being in that store. When that happens, then you really have achieved that ultimate customer experience, which is what I say all the time. And you're going to start to have a customer that's going to be consistent, that's going to be loyal to your business, and before you know it, your sales are going to go up and up and up. Well, our audience is made up primarily of small business people, 59% of whom are either presidents and or owners. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, this is a constant kind of uh, question that comes up when we go around. But uh, uh, what are the elements of creating such such an atmosphere? I mean, what do you actually train them and uh, uh, and how do you reach them? Well, we start at the beginning, okay? So let's take whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a store that's going to sell uh, you know, apparel, uh, whether it's a service business that sells insurance. When you're talking about a small business, when you're talking about a large business, it starts with the person at the top. What is that person's vision? What does that person have as far as the objectives for their business? How do they want <clears throat> their customers to be treated? So it starts with that. Secondly, what advantages does this company have that makes them unique from their competitors? So if it's a restaurant, perhaps it's the, the recipes, the, the ambiance, the way the food is served, whatever it might be. If it's an apparel store, maybe it's the design, maybe it's the, the fashion, maybe it's the prices, whatever it is. But all those elements combined with the service piece, what's going to make my customers feel special? Once we really get an understanding of that, then we develop training, method, training modules 
that are going to communicate that to the employees. And we deliver them in ways that uh, we argue that we want to create effective training, meaning the training that is really there to give them the skills they need to do their job, explain why we want them to do this, which is very, very important, and focus on the advantages of that business so that the employee understands what makes the company that they work for different, that therefore they can communicate to the customers. And then we roll the training out, and we want to cover everything from customer service to product training to whatever systems they have to learn, procedures, policies, etc. And we make sure that we keep reinforcing those key advantages of the business, that the culture is right. We make sure that we communicate everything properly so we try to avoid disconnect because if the <clears throat> the, owner, excuse me, the owner of the company is thinking one thing, but the employees are doing something else, you're going to have great disconnect in your business. So we want to make sure that the communication is tight. We want to make sure that the marketing is aligned with whatever our message is. And all these elements are really important parts of the training. So many businesses, they want to just teach a particular task. So they wrote a training program out to teach that one task. And it's fine. And for short term, the trainees learn this task and they do it. But without really giving them the reasons why they have to do it this way and explaining to them what's important about that for their business and important for the customer, soon they go back to their old habits and whatever you're trying to get them to do, they don't do very well. Well, you know, um, you can walk into any uh, shopping uh, mall and you can go from store to store to store and see different different attitudes, different uh, approaches. But I had an incident uh, Sunday. We went into a very uh, high-fashion store, and my wife wanted a particular, uh, to buy a particular uh, uh, garment. And and the woman said, well, that's only available online. And the way she said it really impacted me because she was obviously upset about it. and so I asked her, and I said, why? She said, because a lot of people have come in wanting that garment, and we're not allowed to sell it. Um, and that's not the first time I've seen that kind of uh, disconnect. And what should she have done um, to make my wife happier about it? Because we had made a special trip just for that. That is a challenge because, unfortunately, and I have this conversation with uh, clients all the time, you know, they get very upset because they see all the business they lose to the Internet. And you wonder, well, why does that happen? Because they've driven the customer there. So in this case, um, <clears throat> maybe, I don't, I don't know the story now, obviously I'm not going to ask, but she probably would have had to maybe have spoken to her manager to see what possible uh, – what they could possibly offer your wife, because obviously you want to protect the business. Maybe she could have went to a terminal in the store and gone onto the website with your wife to see if they could find the merchandise and, if possible, get it shipped either to the store or to your home without any inconvenience. Um, those are some of the things, but unfortunately, today a lot of businesses don't want to carry all the inventory, so they keep it online. But to me, I think there are two really bad statements that I hear in stores and it's a problem. Like yourself, when you go into a store and you ask a question and the response is, well, you got to go online. That is so cold and 
just really a turnoff for a customer. And the line I hate even, maybe even more than that, is when I'm walking around in the store and trying to find something or trying to find someone, and the store employee turns to me and is walking by 90 miles an hour and turns and says, finding everything okay? And keeps walking. <laughs> you know, and you say to yourself, well, wait a second. Shouldn't be asking me, like, if I need any help or anything like that, you know, but... Um, Unfortunately, too many of these businesses have gotten away from real good customer service. Well, let me ask you that question. Uh, we have people on it, and we have a feeling, my wife and I, that uh, uh, customer service really has deteriorated from what it was years ago. Do you find that to be the case? Absolutely. I have an equation that I try to explain to uh, business people, and it basically is this, that Customer service plus customer satisfaction equals customer experience, and they are very different. It starts with service. When I walk into a business, I want to be, you know, appreciated. So it's nice when an employee turns and says, good morning, or hi, or how are you today? And that's part of the service piece. But how they say it, how they deliver it, is going to be determined on whether I was satisfied with that. When an employee is walking by me 90 miles an hour and just turns and says, finally, okay, and keeps walking, well, yeah, okay, I got a greeting, that's service, but I wasn't satisfied, so there wasn't any satisfaction. And if I want to have a really good experience, well, then if I'm really satisfied by what was said and then the employee takes it one step further, maybe they said, good morning, how are you today, you know, can I help with something, and then turns and says, gee, I really like your sweater, whatever the case might be, and helps you really build a sale, I'm going to achieve that customer experience. And that's the thing that I'm going to remember, that I was in this store and the person really took great care of me, his name was David or whatever the case was, really helped me out with this issue. Now we have a memory and that's the experience. And that's the part where so many business people today, they just lost sight of that. They think as long as an employer walking around saying, find everything okay or hi and keep going is, is, is customer service, and it's not. And businesses, I know you have a lot of small business clients, but the the big businesses have gotten so big that they've lost sight of the customer. Now, the good news is for the small business, that's their advantage because as a small business, if I'm a single store owner or a single restaurant owner or, or service business like that, I have a greater opportunity to really satisfy my customers and give them a good customer experience because I'm more involved in the day-to-day operations of my business Depending on the size of my small business, I might be dealing with customers directly, and then that gives me the opportunity to really wow them and establish loyalty with them and ultimately build my business with greater sales and profits. Well, uh, then let's go re- really fast because that's our audience. How does the small business owner do that? What are some of the tricks that you've learned, uh, perhaps the uh, uh, strategies that you've learned that that makes that possible. Okay, <clears throat> starting with the basics, the rule we tell everybody, I don't care what size your business is, but the rule we tell everyone is there is no one or nothing more important than the customer. If you agree with that, then everything else becomes easy. Now, there's an old the old adage the customer is always right. Okay, that's maybe may may not be true, but if you show your customer that you appreciate their business, if you show the customer that you really value their business, that they're really an important person for you, that there is no one or nothing more important than the customer, you're off to a good start. So I'll give you some examples. 
So maybe it's a small business home center, and uh, you know the owner of the, of the business is in the store, and a customer walks in. Well, whatever you're doing, stop doing and turn to the customer and greet that customer. Don't keep unloading that uh, that shelf or you know unloading those boxes, whatever the case might be. Recognize that customer. Let that customer know that he or she is being valued and appreciated and take care of those customers' needs. Go the extra mile if you have to to get that customer what he or she needs. It doesn't mean that you always have to like bend over and you know lower your prices to a point where you're not going to make any profit, but show that customer appreciation. Um, in, in my book, I talk about... Uh, a small kind of an appliance store that I had done business with years ago and how they just went out of their way to take care of me as a customer. And as a result, they wound up getting so much business from me for about 10 or 15 years when I lived in the area. I brought family and friends for the same reason because of the customer service. So as a small business owner, think of what can you do that's going to really wow your customers? What advantages do you have about your business to make them purchase from you and make sure that you make the customer aware of that each and every time. Stay in touch with your customers. After the sale is made, whatever it is, reach out to them a few days later, a week or so later. Make sure they're happy with their purchase. Make sure that there's anything else that they might need from you that you can, you know, get for them as, as another opportunity to make a sale. And keep that extension, you know, keep staying in, in touch with your customers and, Ask them for referrals and, you know, help your business grow that way by networking through your customers. Well, uh, those are good thoughts. I just have to say the one of the first about greeting your customer. Nothing infuriates me more than when I walk in the store and, and somebody's doing something and then makes me wait without acknowledging that I'm there uh, un- un- until they finish that task. It's really, That's really interesting. Yeah, and the businesses today, because you know there's so many different components to making a business successful, they've gotten so task oriented. And depending on the size of the company, if it's you know especially if it's a multi-chain uh, with you know several uh, hundred locations or whatever, so much pressure to get these tasks done that yes, they've lost sight of the customer. But that goes back to what I said earlier, where that becomes the advantage of the small business. Because in most cases in the small business, the owner is still involved, usually in a day-to-day, and he or she can prevent that from happening and making sure that their employees don't let that happen. The customer has to be recognized. The customer has to come first. And when the customer does, you're going to win every time. You're going to make more sales. You're going to get more repeat business. You're going to get more referrals, and you're going to grow your business and grow your business, and you'll be very, very happy with your results. Well, uh, you, you mentioned an appliance store, and since we're both from the same area, uh, there was such an appliance store in Teaneck that um, that I, I did business with for 10 or 15 years until they unfortunately went out of business. Mm-hmm. And I, I always felt that they uh, they really tried to find a solution for me and really followed up. Um, uh, the, I kind of miss the old-time appliance stores. I'm old enough to remember when uh, television first came in and how you it was a family event to go buy a television. Uh, and I, you know, Anyway, I remember that. Uh, if you were... Um, I'm a small business owner. Uh, if, what are the two or three things? I know you said them kind of, but uh, 
First off, what's the name of your book? The book is called The Ultimate Customer Experience. And the subtitle is The Path to Victory for Any Business, Any Size, Any Time. Well, uh, you put it, put, hit the nail on the head with that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll point out, and I'll ask you a question since we are relatively. There are two Macy's near us. One of them, mm-hmm. the Garden State Park, what the state? Uh, right. Uh, and the other, um, in um, I forget the name of the, uh, the other one. And the Paramus difference Park? between the, I'm sorry, Paramus Park. Uh, Paramus Park, correct. Right. Yep. The, the difference between the customer experience in those two stores is amazing. They're less than three miles apart, but they're miles and different. Uh, and one of the questions, uh, we think it's maybe because it's a totally different clientele at one versus the other. But would you want to comment on that? I mean, sometimes the clientele affects the uh, uh, the employees as well. Uh, to a point, <clears throat> but you have two stores, two different sizes. You have two different store managers. Um, probably have the same district manager as far as because uh, the geography, but maybe not. And again, you know, a store that size, a store manager functions as the CEO of that store, and depending on whatever he or her believes is important, is going to trickle down to their employees. So the store that you feel has the better service, and I'm, I'm sure I know which one of the two it is. Probably the have Paramus. a store manager. I'm sorry? Yeah, Paramus Park. Right. Probably yeah. has a store manager who believes more in treating the customers right and maybe a little bit less on uh, all the other things that has to get done. The fact that it is a smaller store makes it a bit easier to manage, um, which, you know, is sometimes, uh, you know, problems that, uh, you know, the businesses have, the bigger the store, the you know, more employees, everything else. But it's a cultural thing, um, you know, and that isn't just with Macy's. You can go to any chain store, whether it be a Staples, a Bed Bath Beyond, or whatever, and you can have a wonderful experience in one store and go into another store and then have the direct opposite. And that is a big, big, big problem with a lot of the businesses because of the inconsistency. They don't know how to be consistent from one store to another. So in the Macy's example that you give, um, I would say if you've got two managers in a room and ask them uh, the same questions, you might get some very different answers about their attitude about some things as far as how they communicate to the employees, how they task out the jobs that the employees have to do, how they hold people accountable, follow up, and all that other stuff. Well, I, I I certainly learned a lot of that one. That one's been vexing me for years. Uh, I love I love this program because I sometimes get answers to things that uh, vex me. Uh, the name of your book. The name of your book again. It's called the Ultimate Customer Experience, and the subtitle is the Path to Victory for Any Business, Any Size, Any Time. And the point being is that the, the book is full of all concepts as far as how to really achieve that ultimate customer experience. And I define that basically as a customer that's come in to a business, whether it's a store or a restaurant or a service business, who's not only happy during the time of purchase, 
but who leaves happy with a smile on his or her face, looking forward to coming back, telling family and friends that they, too, need to do business with that place. And the point of the book is that no matter what size your business is, whether it's one store, whether it's a 1,000 stores, one restaurant, a 1,000 restaurants, the principles still work because it's all about how do we make that customer really feel special? How do we wow that customer and therefore create that ultimate customer experience? Well, Art, well, uh, I'd like you to stay on. We have um, our next guest is uh, is here, and I'd like like you just to uh, come on. Uh, Phil Becknell is uh, managing principal of uh, uh, Dinoff Becknell and Wells. They're an investigative group, and he's going to talk about background checks and uh, proving Burdison. But I just love for you. To, uh, uh, stay on if you would mind. Sure. And if I you can contribute, contribute. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. I'll definitely hang on. Sure. Phil, welcome to the program. Well, thanks so much for having me. Well, um, uh, you, you, uh, as I say, you're the managing principal, and you, you're here to talk about background checks approved burdensome to employers and prospective employees, and uh, I think it's a wide-open topic, and I'm so glad you could join us today. But we, uh, but what we, uh, we always ask uh, our uh, guests first to say a little bit about their personal background uh, before we get into the subject. So, sure. would mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so, I, I've been an investigator in the private sector for about 15 years. In the last um, 10 years, I've been the managing partner of Denault Becknell and Wells Investigative Group, which is a investigations firm based in Washington, D.C. Um, so my firm was ranked last year as the best uh, private investigations provider by the National Law Journal. We're a firm that specializes primarily in litigation support for attorneys, um, but as part of that, we do uh, background routinely and those cases and witnesses and defendants. We also do uh, pretty comprehensive background checks for high-level individuals who are candidates for executive-level positions and uh, the key players and companies that our clients are seeking to acquire and that kind of thing. Um, so we're pretty involved in background checks in uh, many different areas. Well, having said that, you're saying without guidance, uh, 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 there may be some problems. What do you mean by that? Uh, when I say I'm sorry, without guidance, there may be some problems. Um, well, that's what, how I interpret it. Prospective uh, employer and, and prospective employees without guidance um, or financial uh, incentive could, uh, could be burdensome. What do you mean by that? Oh, I see. Well, I mean, when you're evaluating anybody, I mean, the the only benchmark that that's really reliable, uh, that's proven to be reliable time and again, is looking at their past behavior and what they've done in the past. Um, I think a lot of times, employers and and others sort of shoot from the hip. They meet somebody, they look them in the eye, and they say, "I can trust this guy." Um, and you know, unfortunately, without knowing more about that person and things they might have done in the past, you're, you're really, um, you know, there's a bias that takes place uh, during that interaction where you could miss a whole lot. 
and you can hire Whoa. people who end up stealing from you and doing a bunch of bad things that can damage your business. You know, well, time after time we see in the newspaper, and I've reported them, where, where really bad people keep getting hired. Is that because uh, there's not a um, they, people haven't done their real due diligence? Uh, in a lot of cases, it is. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a lot of companies that don't routinely do background checks, and that's certainly a problem, um, particularly when you have a you have positions of uh, where you're trusting the person with your financials and your and your cash. And you know, I think that there's certainly certain levels of it. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to do background checks on every single person necessarily, um, but certainly if you if the person has um, the power to do harm. You know, then you—it's certainly something you'd want to consider. Well, um, our audience is primarily small businesses, so if I hear you correctly, you're talking really about the the senior level positions where they're they're handling money or handling um, uh, other sensitive material. Am I right? Um, I mean, again, it depends on the position. I mean, I think that if you if you have somebody who is stocking shelves, um, I mean, certainly there's the potential for that person to, you know, walk away with a TV set. Um, but I think that in the grand scheme of things, that the risk of that might be, um, I mean, what does a TV set cost? And I guess it depends. But you know, a few hundred bucks. Well, it costs a few hundred dollars for a background check. And so I think in that in that instance, you know, it it might not be worthwhile to spend a lot of money vetting that person because really the damage they can do isn't isn't that great all considered but i think if you're hiring an accountant for your small business or you're hiring somebody who is going to have um some degree of administrative access to your accounting program or um then the damage that they can do is much greater i mean we're talking tens hundreds of thousands of dollars and in that case spending $500 on a back on a background check is definitely worth Worth the cost, so I think it, you just have to look at the position. Uh, you have to look at the position and determine in that instance whether it's worth whether it's worthwhile to do or not. But certainly, well, uh, go ahead. No, you first. I was going to say, just repeat basically what I said. That certainly, if if there's a potential for the person to to do significant damage, then it's it's generally worth the cost. Well, how do how do you do? I come to you. I'm a small business about to hire my VP of Finance. Um, what do you ask of us, and what we should should we be asking of you? Um, so, background checks for employment purposes are governed by the Fair Credit Reporting Act, um, which means that you have to notify the employee that you're given you're doing a background check for you know for them and you're. You need to get their consent. So uh, the first thing I'd ask you if you came to me and, and wanted a background check is, do you have a release signed by the person that gives us authority to to do the to do the background check? Um, and so once you um, once you have that, then it's just a question of uh, doing the investigation. Uh, there's certain other things that some people look at and some people don't look at. Uh, credit reports, for example. I mean, it, you could. If the per, if the position's a financial position, a lot of companies will also have us run credit reports on people. But we don't. If it's not a financial uh, position or doesn't relate to money in any way, then um, you can't. You, you don't have a permissible purpose to access the credit report. Uh, some companies are now having us look at social media, um, you know, and also having us do the um, the reference checks and things like that. Um, some sometimes companies like to do the reference checks themselves. 
So every background check is a little different, um, but the bottom line is once we have permission and we understand what the scope of what the, what the company is looking for, we, we, uh, we do the investigation within that scope. And then uh, that I'm not... Position. I'm sorry, I stepped on you. Please finish. <laughs> it's okay. I was going to say that scope depends a lot on what the position is. Well, uh, um, there's been a lot of noise about uh, saying saying people should not um, uh, uh, look for a, a criminal background check until uh, the person has been given a job offer. Um, is it? Uh, I would think it would be better to know about a criminal background before I gave it uh, a uh, a job offer, um, because in some states, you once you get the order offer, you're liable for it. Yeah, I mean that's um, there's you know of course the the danger of doing background checks in a in a in a non um, controlled way has the risk of discriminating against people based on um on on their on their history and i guess there's there's ways to do it there's the right way to do a background check and there's the wrong way to do a background check and the um equal employment opportunity uh commission um and the uh the uh the uh FCRA provide guidance to employees employers about how the best way to do that is and so some of the guidance suggests that um, you know that you, you you can disqualify somebody on the basis of a background check report, um, but it, that that is supposed to be explicit in the process. So it's like you're not supposed to. You have ten candidates, you do background checks on them, and and you decide based on in part on the background check which ones to disqualify. They say that you shouldn't do that because you're comparing them against each other and not against their qualifications. So, the, the, just because somebody has a criminal a criminal conviction, for for example, um, they might be the best qualified person otherwise. And so, you're supposed to sort of pretend like you don't know that information, I guess, and then um, and then base the the offer for employment on that. And then when when once the once the background check's done and you know of the conviction, um, that can be a disqualifying factor. But at that point, you're required under the FCRA to notify the employee and to provide them a copy of the investigative report that states the reason for why for why why they were disqualified. And and the idea is again that it it prevents it prevents you from um, it, it basically makes you sh- makes you state explicitly why. Um, what the, what the issue was that that caused you not to hire the person? Well, uh, I'm a small employee. I have seven employee, employees. Uh, I'm about to hire another one, and uh, you tell me uh, that uh, he, that he has a criminal record, uh, uh, and I just don't want a criminal inside my small organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and I don't follow your guidelines, but I find it out um, uh, in doing the reference. For instance, if I did a reference check, and in the, in the, in the course of it, someone says, "You know, uh, he was uh, jailed for uh, stealing uh, and went to jail for two years," and that's how you found out. Is that? And I, am I then enabled to say I just don't want a, a criminal in my company? Um, you are, but 
you if they if they then asked you why why did you decide not to hire me um you would be required provided there was a document that that had that information on it like for example if you did if you did the reference check you took notes you generated some kind of document from that that would be called uh, that would be what the FCRA refers to as an investigative consumer report because it contains information about the subject of the investigation and so under the FCRA the the employee would be privy to that report Actually, let me qualify this for a second. If you do that as a small business owner, I'm sorry, the, FR, the FCRA does not apply, but if you hire a third party to do it, then it applies. So actually, in your example, you, it would not be a consumer report because you're doing the investigation yourself. So it's kind of, so, it, it applies to third party uh, pe- investigators and people who do background checks. It doesn't apply to people who uh, are uh, end users of the of the information. So for example, you're because you're the, owner of the company, um, you, you have a little bit more leeway as far as um, as far as what, what uh, qualifies as a consumer report. Oh, yeah, um, you, you know, it's really fascinating. I, I've hired ex, uh, ex-cons, and I've not hired ex-cons. It's really based on uh, uh, the individual. But uh, I found, and I'm, I'm going to turn back to Art for one minute on this one, but I found that uh, when when I've hired someone who has a criminal background, uh, the other um, employees got very um, uh, upset about it. And uh, uh, I, I'd like to bring uh, Art back in and say, uh, have you ever run into that, and how do you deal with that? I haven't run into it personally, but <clears throat> there's a couple ways you could handle it. One would be to, before you hire the person, if it's a small company, you might want to speak with your employees first and explain your reasons why you want to hire the person. Depends what the criminal background is. You know, they may have done something minor, may have made, you know, made a mistake at one point, and you know, this was a long time ago, whatever. And it's it's important to share with the other employees, you know, what your thoughts are and why you'd like to bring this person on and kind of make them feel comfortable and part of the decision because you're at least hearing their input and their feedback. And then conversely, if they really gave you some valid reasons as to why you might not want to hire that employee, then that might be good for you to know because what you don't want to do is bring someone in that's going to then cause a problem with the other employees that you have because that's not going to be good for your business. Um, Phil, uh, are small employees uh, um, exempt from these regulations, or does it apply to everybody? No, it applies to everybody. It applies to any time that you're using a – well, the FCRA applies any time you're using a third-party um, vendor to do background checks on employees. Hmm. Um, uh, we had an individual on last year who, who does um, foreign uh, – credential um, uh, verification, and uh, it all came about because a, a company sponsored an individual to come into the country only to find out that every one of his uh, degrees that he claimed were false. Do you do, do those type of things as well? We, we do those as well. We do education uh, credential checks and, and um, basically every, everything under the sun uh, involving people's backgrounds. Well, have you? Uh, there have been several reports that uh, credential uh, 
uh, have been grossly exaggerated. And we've, in fact, a couple of uh, CEOs have lost their jobs because of what they claimed in terms of uh, academic credentials were wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you seeing a trend in this? Um, I mean, I've I've seen that pretty consistently since I've started doing this business. Um, I, I think that what what could be happening, I, I, I guess, it, it could be that that it's coming to light more often now because it's it's become easier to check information online than it used to be ten years ago. So I think that um, n- nowadays, you know, if you if you're going to claim that you graduated from such and such university, I mean, it's relatively easy to go to that university or whoever houses that university's record, and usually you can check the you can check to see if there's a degree there relatively easily. Uh, whereas before, you might have had to send it, you know, send, you know, call the registrar of the university and send them a letter and a release, and it, it was much more time-consuming and difficult to do it. So because the process is somewhat more automated now than it was before, I think it, it, it's likely just that people are being caught uh, caught more readily. But I, I don't know if the I don't know if the falsification has necessarily increased in my in my experience. It's it's always been there. There's always been uh, people who we found um, falsifying different aspects of their backgrounds. I'm here, but I'm, it, I didn't hear the last thing you said. I got the the uh, it got garbled there for a minute. No, oh. um, I'm sorry. Sometimes happen. Basically, business business. I hate to tell you this, but I can't hear really anything. Do you hear me now? I can hear you now, yeah. Art, do you hear me? Yes. Uh, Phil, do you hear me? I can hear you now very well. Oh. <clears throat> we okay. lost you there for a minute, Tom, but you're back, so you're fine. <laughs> well, uh, I'm on the road as well. And sometimes that happens. I'm uh, back in my studio next week. Uh, but um, uh, uh, I, I'd kind of like to sum up uh, and ask you, Phil, what would you like to tell our audience uh, about about this uh, uh, and uh, what they should really look out for? Uh, you know, background checks, doing background checks on employees is an area that's pretty fraught with potential uh, pitfalls in terms of litigation, in terms of uh, inadvertently uh, discriminating against people. Uh, you know, it might not be what you intend. Um, and I think that it's a process that's best done in a, in, in a way when you, when you know what the pitfalls are and you, and you do it in a systematic way that's, uh, that's fair to people and that, um, 
and that works the best for your business. I mean, I think you you do background checks on the people uh, that are in trust positions. I think you do it in such a way, um, you know, that that obviously you're not looking at things that that that, that shouldn't matter. I mean, you should obviously consider the person's qualifications, um, and that you um, might want to consider using a third party, although it does uh, trigger other. Um, other legal requirements, um, using a third party helps uh, protect you from from knowing information about somebody would, that might not be relevant to um, to the hiring decision. I mean, it's very common for us to get people who uh, scour people's social media sites, for example, and, and then decide not to hire the person for some reason, ostensibly for a criminal conviction, for example, or something else. Um, but when you're looking at that much information, there's a whole bunch of uh, stuff that you now know about that person, their race, their, their, their sexual orientation, their um, um, other, other things that, that could trigger a potential lawsuit. And so it's, it's best to do it um, you know, in a way where you're protecting yourself. And that's often done, in my opinion, best by using a third party to do it for you. Well, uh, you you brought up uh, social media, and um, people are saying now um, that uh, you you shouldn't uh, hang it uh, hang it all out on on your social media sites um, because it comes back to haunt you. Are you see, seeing that happening? Oh, definitely. Yeah, people um, people do let it hang out, and that's one of the first things in my experience that hiring managers do. I mean, you get a resume, and you go, "Who is this person?" You know, and that's uh, sure. If you're, um, if you're, um, I've had you know cases where people have talked openly about drug use and and, and criminal activity and things like that, and that's um, that obviously doesn't doesn't end very well for them. So no, yeah, you definitely, if, if from the perspective of an employee or a prospective employee, you want to um, lock down your accounts and be careful about what you talk about, for sure. Hmm. Well, can you turn down someone because of prior drug use? Um, you can. You know, it depends. So, I mean, there's, there's rules regarding, and every state's different about how long a criminal conviction can be considered. So there's some states that um, prevent you from considering criminal convictions if they're older than, say, 10 years or 8 years. Um, drug activity, there's not really, there's not a lot of guidance on that. Um, so I mean, if the drug if the drug history is pretty old, I think that you might have a problem. But I think if if somebody has talking openly about doing drugs in the relatively recent past, um, I don't. I, I think that you'd be pretty safe as an employer using that as a disqualifier. Hmm. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, uh, uh, we have a relative in the, in the family who uh, went through rehab. And is now a, a teacher, and uh, uh, he um, uh, he went through a case where the, the school district said, if we had known you were a former drug user, we would never have hired you. Um, and it's into litigation. I've often wondered about that. Um, uh, Phil, uh, the name of your company and how people can reach you. Sure. Um, my, my company is called Denault. That's D-I-N-O-L-T Becknell, which is B-E-C-N-E-L and Wells Investigative Group. And we're online at www.denault. That, once again, that's D-I-N-O-L-T.com. 
Well, I'd like to go back to art for a, uh, a minute or two. And um, I'd like, uh, uh, Art, for you to say um, uh, some, of, uh, some of the things you said earlier so and how you, people can reach you and uh, uh, your uh, and, and get your book. But uh, what, what would, again, what would be the three things you would say to, uh, to a small business that's uh, really trying to do uh, uh, reach a, a, a high customer satisfaction level? Number one, what makes your business unique? What's different about your business? What advantages do you have? That's important. Number two, when you are engaging the customer, what can I do to really make that customer feel special? What can I really make that customer remember me by as far as doing business? And number three, how can I stay in touch with that customer after that purchase uh, has taken place, whether it be through social media, whether it be through uh, you know, mailers, phone calls, whatever. And just those three things together will really help a business can really, I think, improve and uh, hit that wow factor with the customer. And the name of your book again? The name of the book is The Ultimate Customer Experience, The Path to Victory for Any Business, Any Size, Any Time. Well, uh, I hope you'll send me a copy. I've got to figure out how to make my guests more comfortable. Sure. And if anybody wants to reach me through my company, it's the uh, the TSI company. We're in uh, New Jersey. And our website is uh, com. Or if they want to call, it's uh, 201-833-8400. Uh, Phil, what's your company's phone number? Um, it's 202-638-5000. really appreciate both of you coming on tonight. Uh, I know I learned a, a heck of a lot, and I hope uh, our audience did as well. And uh, I hope you both of you will come back sometime in the future and talk more. Sure, definitely. I'd love to. Thanks so much. Well, have a, really, have a, and have a great day. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank nice to talk to you, Phil, as well. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.